moments and connecting. I'm, I'm so thankful for our worship team today and the efforts they took on in leading us in worship. Wasn't that good? Yeah. I was really blessed, so I'm grateful, grateful to them and how they led us today. Our text this morning is from Luke chapter 2. I invite you to open your Bible apps to it, or you can follow along here behind me. From Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. It's Christmas. An unlikely guest have been invited to the celebration. 
This has been called a tale of two kings, a tale of Caesar Augustus and a tale of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Luke frames it that way, that there's two kings in this story, Caesar, who was establishing the Roman Empire and making a name for himself, who was establishing the power of Rome by extracting taxes from people. In order to extract the tax, he needed to count them. And so a census was going to be held. And it pushed Joseph and Mary to go to Bethlehem. For Joseph was of the family of David, and Bethlehem was the hometown of his line. And there a second king would be born. A second king would be born, it seemed, without much to do, except that angels had preceded his visit, except that the Holy Spirit had miraculously conceived the Son of God in the womb of Mary. And it could have been just like any other night, except a great announcement far outdoing what Caesar could dream up. God sent the angels and the heavenly hosts to shepherds who were working. Shepherds were unlikely guests to the birth of a king. In Israel, they were respected and held in contempt all at the same time. It's like that moment where you know someone's sort of mad at you, and then they say, well, I appreciate you. That's how people felt about shepherds. Though at times even God himself shows up as the great shepherd in that poetic line of David, the Lord is my shepherd, respected but sometimes held in contempt. God has shown up because the hearts of people were afraid and the hearts of people were tormented by sin and the very lives of people were being held under oppression. God has shown up. We can learn a lot from the shepherds and how they responded to the word of God. First, the shepherds took the word of God and investigated it. They treated it as a word that required investigation. They said, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem and investigate this. One of the common lines that we've had in this sermon series, Emmanuel, God with us, is that you can get to Jerusalem. You can get to the heights of life and power on your own strength. But it does take revelation from God to get to Bethlehem and meet the Savior. So when the word of God comes to us, what is our response? Do we investigate? Do we drop it? Do we hurry to go and find out? Do we open the word of God and test it out in our lives? 
I've recently been delighted to watch the movie um, Surprised by Oxford. Carolyn Weber, a Canadian, managed to get into Oxford and to study English there. But the great surprise of her life was to actually meet people that took the word of God and the message of Jesus seriously in that place. It was a great surprise. It was one that she struggled with greatly. However, one night, someone laid the gospel out for her completely for the first time in her life, and she went, oh. This is what she says about that moment. The morning after I heard the gospel, I woke up with what felt like a hangover. Little would I know it was of the spiritual kind that it accompanies that inevitable dawn of realization that life is not perhaps what we previously thought it was. And we cannot go back to pretending. What a headache to be caught in that liminal space, literally. Later, she would go on to write that people who have heard the gospel and try to ignore it are trying to ignore an elephant in the room. She says this, it's a bizarre thing about the good news of Jesus. Who knows how you really hear it one day, you can never unhear it. You can never unread it, unspeak it, or unthink it. It is like a great big elephant in a tiny room. Its obvious presence begins to squeeze out everything else, including your own little measly self. Some accept it easily. Some accept it quickly. Some are struck with the mystical reality of it right away. These people have no trouble bringing the unseen into the realm of the seen. But she says, others fight the elephant. Have you ever fought an elephant? Others fight the elephant or attempt to leave the room completely. It doesn't help. The trunk keeps curling around the doorknob. The hook is there. It may snooze or loom or rise or recede, but regardless of time past or the vanity endured, the idea keeps coming back like a cosmic boomerang you just can't throw away. I did not realize this part of the grace of it all, such relentless truthfulness. And God revealed it first to shepherds? When the shepherds went looking, they went to Bethlehem, and they found Mary and Joseph, just as they had been told. And they found the baby wrapped in cloths and strangely lying in a manger in a stable, just as they had been told. The Savior is born. He is the Messiah, the Lord, lying in a manger in a stable to a poor couple, one a carpenter, pushed out of home, pushed around where there was no room, but they made room for Jesus in their lives. 
And the shepherds came and found Jesus close to the ground. I know it's drawn many times, and we have used this picture many times as well, of a, of a, a food trough that's up from the ground and laid with hay. But the likely picture is that it's actually a trough scooped into the ground or scooped into a rock and just pushed down in that rocky place close to the ground. And there they may have put clean hay. And there they laid this Jesus so close to the ground. And if you go to Bethlehem today, you will find Jesus close to the ground. In the Lutheran church in Bethlehem, they have rearranged the nativity. And Jesus is in the rubble. Jesus is under the rubble. In solidarity with their brothers and sisters and friends and family and neighbors in Gaza, they have put Jesus close to the ground. Again, on stones. And the shepherds and the wise men and the parents themselves are spread around looking for the child under the rubble. We cannot ignore the fact that Jesus comes to us in this world and enters into our messes. And our messes extend far beyond the stables that we create for ourselves. They extend to the chaos of our world and the clash of empires. Dr. Munther Isaac, who's the pastor there, said yesterday in a service, that they needed the company of friends who had come to the service yesterday from around the world. He says, you have left your families and churches to be with us, and you embodied the term of accompaniment of costly solidarity. We were in prison, and you visited us. What a stark difference from the silence and complicity of others. Your presence here is the meaning of solidarity. Your visit to us we will never forget. It cannot be taken from us. Though we in this time have been asking God, where are you, God? We feel so forsaken. We've cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken Gaza? And why do you hide yourself from us? In our pain and anguish and lament, we have searched for God, and we have found him under the rubble. It's the Christmas season, and as we search for Jesus, he is to be found not on the other side of Rome, but on our side of the wall in a cave with a simple family, vulnerable, barely miraculously surviving a massacre, among becoming a refugee family. This is where Jesus is found. When we glorify pride and riches, Jesus is under the rubble. When we rely on power, might, and weapons, Jesus is under the rubble. When we justify, rationalize, and theologize the bombing of children, Jesus is under the rubble. Jesus is under the rubble. This is his manger. 
He is at home with us. This is his manger. When we sing the song at Christmas, O come, let us adore him, it's not Jesus on the throne. It's Jesus in the manger, close to the ground. Among and coming from his poor parents and inviting the poor to be present. I know the wise men are coming. We'll talk about them next week. So the shepherds, they went and they found him. And then they began to tell people, it's just like we had been told. We found Jesus here close to the ground. We found the Messiah close to the ground. We found the Lord close to the ground. Could this be Emmanuel, God with us? And the shepherds took the word of God to heart. It says that Mary took it to heart, and she began to treasure and ponder. But the shepherds, in taking it to heart, returned to their work, praising God and rejoicing for everything they had seen and heard. It was just as they had been told. They went back to work, and they couldn't be silent. They told everyone on the way. They told the sheep, I bet. And the sheep just went, looked at them and went, meh. But they told each other, and they rehearsed it, and they remembered, and they recalled, and the Spirit of God brought joy in their hearts to those who were very close to the ground. We need not be ashamed of a Savior who comes close to the ground. But we have been ashamed that we were so close to the ground ourselves. For we are spending a lot of energy, time, and money to get ourselves off the ground and to hire positions. And that's okay. Go there with Jesus. Return there with Jesus. And if he invites you close to the ground, go there. He is inviting us, I believe. One of the most famous Arabic Christmas folk songs is Lalet al-Milad. It's sung every year. It's being sung even in Bethlehem this year, though perhaps in more of a minor key than ever. On the night of Christmas, it says, hatred will vanish. On the night of Christmas, the earth blooms. On the night of Christmas, war is buried. On the night of Christmas, love is born. What are we to do with this message? It's contained in this song. I don't know what the shepherds were singing that day, but surely they were making the move from belief to heart to action. And so the song goes this way. When we offer a glass of water to a thirsty person, we are in Christmas. We are in Christmas. Will you say that with me? We are in Christmas. 
We are in Christmas. When we clothe a naked person with a gown of love, we are in Christmas. When we wipe the tears from weeping eyes, we are in Christmas. When we cushion a hopeless heart with love, we are in Christmas. When I kiss a friend without hypocrisy, I am in Christmas. I am in Christmas. Are you in Christmas? I am in Christmas. When the spirit of revenge dies in me, I am in Christmas. When hardness is gone from my heart, I am in Christmas. When my soul melts in the being of God, I am in Christmas. Are you in Christmas? As we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper, are you in Christmas? As we read or responded to each of those moves of Christmas, moves of having encountered Christ, the living one, the moves of those who await his return, did the Spirit of God pierce your conscience? Did the Spirit of God remind you of hardness of heart towards those in need? Did the Spirit of God remind you of hypocrisy towards a friend, of revenge-seeking towards an enemy, of hardness of heart towards others, yourself, and the world. May the Spirit of God come now and soften your heart with the softness of a child. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come and we're going to break bread and we're going to share the cup. And we pray that the true move of Christmas would come so that we can be in it, that your spirit would move us into the true way of Christ who has died but is raised again. <laughs>